Good morning. Welcome to the Morning Briefing. It's Thursday, April 21st, episode 175. Bert, I'm Phil Brandt, and with me, as always, is your friend and mine, Bert Garland, shareholder with Ogletree Deacons. It is our goal to keep you informed so you can more effectively lead your organization. We've got lots to talk about today, Bert. Um, the mask mandate, I think, is ending, but there's appeals. I don't know. I'd love to get your opinion on that. Um, I actually think the unions are attacking the Apple store. I know that's been quite a bit of discussion and in the news lately, but there seems to be a, a full-on press on the Apple stores. Uh, would like to know if you're aware of that and what might be happening there. We got bonus retention. And if we have time, I'd like to discuss electrical car reimbursement mileage. That has been a topic that's been coming up around here in the office from our members. And I thought we could chat about that a little bit as well. We do have a poll question today. And with the mask mandate ending, will your business travel increase with your organization. So you're planning to increase your business travel now that the mask mandate is ending. Um, and if so, we'd like to know your answers. You can check, click on the box there and give us your poll question results from there. So Bert, let's talk about this mask mandate and what is going on and the appeals and what should we do and, and what is actually happening in your opinion. Yeah, very interesting, Phil. Good morning. To, uh, good but to but see first, you. Perhaps. But first, look at this guy. Look at him. He's all cleaned up. Your mother would be so proud of you, Burton. She would. Maybe, maybe only rivaling how proud my wife is of me that uh, most of the hair has uh, been cut off. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, synonymous or, or, or the timing is uh, equivalent to the mask mandate ending. Maybe it means COVID's finally getting behind us. Something just told me it was time for a haircut finally. I know so the ladies that. around the AIM office are going to be really happy. Um, <laughs> I think a few of them in particular have been campaigning for you to, to clean it up a little bit and it looks good. So maybe the midlife crisis is coming to an end, yeah? <laughs> the, the midlife COVID crisis, yes. Uh, maybe right. maybe coming to an end. We should only be so lucky. So yeah, very uh, interesting development. I'm sure most people have uh, heard or read by now. Uh, that the that a court, the United States District Court, issued a uh, injunction overturning uh, the Biden administration's additional two-week extension of masking on federal transportation. Um, in response to that, almost immediately, most of the airlines, if not all of them, came out and said that they are no longer enforcing uh, masking on their their airplanes. Uh, there was a, a viral video of, I think it was a Southwest Airlines flight attendant who announced uh, no masking and literally did that uh, to tears and to applause on the, on the airplane. Uh, the TSA, interestingly, also said immediately that they were no longer going to be requiring masking in airports. Now, the TSA made their comment uh, almost immediately after the district court's ruling, uh, President Biden also made a statement almost immediately after the court ruling that all of a sudden it's up to people. It's people's choice whether they decide to uh, wear a mask or not, and it depends on their, their level of risk, their risk tolerance. Where, whoa, 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 say that again. What did President Biden say? He's that, not leaving decisions up to people, is well, he? Well, that's, that's what the comment would, would indicate. But then shortly after uh, that statement was made and the TSA 
made their announcement that they're no longer going to be enforcing masks mask on federal transportation. Uh, yesterday, the Department of Justice announced that it was appealing the judge's ruling. Uh, for his part, our, our friend Dr. Fauci made a statement saying that he thought it was a shame that the courts intruded upon the authority of the CDC. Uh, and so we'll have to sort of see what shakes out. But as of right now, sitting here today, there is no longer a mask mandate for federal transportation. So that means on airplanes, uh, Amtrak, uh, and even on the bus system, I think uh, they, they could voluntarily choose to uh, require masks still, the, the, the airlines, but in uh, the other federal transportation uh, entities, but they are no longer required uh, by federal law to have their passengers mask up. Yeah, and I've noticed correspondingly uh, the airline uh, stock prices have been increasing the last several days with that news as well. As a proud owner of Delta Airlines stock, um, I'm almost ready to jump out of that one now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about reaching its max potential, I think. So that's, uh, that's interesting news. A little bit of left hand, right hand. What are we trying to achieve in a united way? It seems to be confusing, but Bottom line is it's not required. It's in the appeal process. Um, and I guess, Bert, are they actually appealing the CDC's decision on that? No. So what the Department of Justice would be doing is appealing uh, the, the court's decision to overturn the Biden administration's additional two-week extension. Uh, of the federal mask mandate. And so the mask mandate was, was supposed to expire, I believe it was April 18th, a couple of days ago. Uh, and then uh, right before its expiration, the administration uh, extended the uh, mask mandate for an additional two weeks. Okay, great, great. Well, that's good. Uh, so answer the poll question. I'm curious if that impacts your travel plans for your business or not. Um, but in my opinion, I'm happy for that to go away. I feel like it should be our choice and been our choice all along, but that's Phil Brandt. Um, I recognize we still need to follow the rules that are set in place by our government. And I also support that concept in general as well. Um, and, and, and Phil, just to give the, the, the other side of that, that uh, the, the idea, sure, we all think it should be our choice and up to us, but the obviously the idea behind the masking with COVID is it's not just about us, it's about everyone else out there, and only if we're wearing masks can we do our part to protect everyone else. I'm not saying which way is the right way, uh, but I do think that uh, there, there is so much mask fatigue in this country that, uh, in, and elsewhere that the people, for the most part, are happy to get rid of the mask. Although I say that, and there was an AP poll that was conducted yesterday that showed, uh, at least in that poll, that a slight majority of Americans still favor masking. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not against the masking. I think if things are on the rise and it's the right thing to do and you're in a mode of crisis, but I think we're definitely out of that mode of crisis at this moment anyhow. At least um, that but, crisis. I'm sorry? At least that crisis. At least that crisis. And that's my point. 
Um, but uh, I'm just noticing some of the chat line here, and it looks like um, there's some chat that business travel is definitely starting to increase, but has nothing to do with mask mandating or not. Um, I don't know about you and where you're at uh, as you're listening to the program, but the amount of traffic back on the highways is increasing significantly, suggesting more and more people are traveling about and, and moving to and from work um, as it seems to be a rush hour pattern of traffic. Um, so I, for one, am happy that we continue to get back to um, what we would consider normal, thank goodness. All right, Bert, um, so it looks like the unions, and we've had a lot of conversation about this, they're in the news a lot. Um, our government is doing what they can to support their investors, uh, that being the AFL-CIO and others. Um, what is happening with the Apple stores? They appear to be under attack uh, from the unions now. Yeah, it, so, so let me just make a, a comment real quickly that we are really seeing the sea change uh, in in what unions are doing these days compared to 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 history, um, we've talked about the unionization back in even even as recently as the 1980s. Although, gosh, I say that, and that was 50 years ago. Uh, but but back in the 1980s. Uh, unionization was still above or right around 20%. You know, some of, some of our listeners weren't born in 1980. Bert. I think a lot of our listeners weren't okay. born in 1980. <laughs> uh, so, and, and as somebody pointed out to me the other day, and I think I may have made the, the comment on the uh, program that, uh, you know, if, if, if you were born in 1970, 1970 was, was what, 52 years ago, that's the same distance that if you were alive in 1970, uh, that's when World War I happened. If you go back the same 50 years, we're talking roughly World War I, but yeah. from 1970 forward, that gets us to today. So that kind of puts it in perspective for you, the, the timing. But uh, in any event, uh, even back in, in the 1980s, unionization in this country was still hovering in the, in the 20% area. And as we've talked on the program, unionization in the private sector these days is down to about 6.2%. As manufacturing, it's no coincidence that as manufacturing in this country uh, seemed to be getting offshored uh, quite a bit through the uh, 80s into the 90s, the 2000s, uh, unionization continued to plummet. Uh, now, while we've seen a resurgence in manufacturing in the United States, especially under the Trump administration, um, the uh, unions were not successful in getting uh, representation in those unionized facilities. Starting probably about 15 years ago, unions made a concerted effort. How about that for throwing in some buzzwords? They made a concerted effort to shift where they were trying to organize. And they really started going after what we would typically consider to be the service industries rather than manufacturing. So uh, all, it, quite a bit uh, in hospitals, uh, hospital unionization has been relatively strong. Uh, and then they've also made quite an effort to try to organize fast food restaurants. We've talked before about all of these workers organizations. We've heard about the movement for the fight for 15. Uh, the unions are behind all of those people's movements to increase wages in the service sector. Also, commercial cleaning has been an area that the unions have found mm -hmm. a lot of success in addition to hospitals. Uh, commercial 
food service at universities and those types of em employers. Um, so it's really interesting now that I think this next step toward uh, to try to organize the Amazons with distribution centers uh, and then trying to organize Apple with respect to their stores, it represents sort of the next step that they're really not just focused on uh, the restaurants any longer and, and some of those, uh, those more traditional service industries of like the cleaning contractors that they're actually going after retail workers. And they recognize the unions, it's taken them a long time, but they are having some success, uh, at least in filing petitions in these sectors with where, where you have traditional service. And again, retail is one of them. Now, with respect to Apple, it's really interesting because you consider, you know, you hear a lot of talk about the Apples of the world and some of the other Silicon Valley companies that uh, have, have sort of gone what you might consider woke or the media portrays as these companies have gone woke on their policies and everything. Well, if they've truly gone woke, they shouldn't really oppose unionization. But let me tell you, I think they're going to fight these unionization efforts very hard. I don't know what an Apple store employee earns these days, but what they are saying is uh, the, the employees who are pursuing these petitions is that an Apple employee should earn $30 per hour for working in an Apple store. Uh, and so if you equate that out, that's roughly $60,000 a year that these uh, that these employees believe uh, they should be making. So yeah, that would that would that's represent a, that's a lot of money to sell a telephone. Um, and you know what always surprises me about this, you know, this last recent trend. And I say it's a recent trend, but I mean it's been ten years now, um, particularly with the unions run on like fast foods, and some of that is. Um, propaganda and it's getting them in the news and it's big target and and all these other things that are also important to their campaigning efforts but they're not career type jobs right i mean mcdonald's is not a career to serve french fries now maybe some people are in the position where they bounce around in service jobs like that for much of their life um, but very different than as you say in 1980 when i was more um, familiar with what the union activity was doing was really focusing on businesses that had, you know, career aspirations to it. So the reality is, is, you know, today we can vote, we can, we can petition for a union, we can vote for the union. And my whole store can turn over within six months, uh, all new employees it had nothing to do with that. But I'm stuck with the union now, uh, until it was voted out, which is really difficult to achieve. Yeah, and Great. that's really the scary part uh, for me, for any of our listeners that, you know, have a high transient workforce that turn over very frequently. And in today's world of the great resignation, that's many of us. Uh, that, that's a concern. And, and we're bringing those people in, maybe not even aware of it. They're achieving their goal and then and exiting out. Yeah. And Phil, what you're referring to right there is, is, is what's called salting. Yes. Uh, un under the law, and that is that there are employees, people who actually are employed by unions to go out and get jobs at employers 
And then the whole purpose, they're not really interested in working for that employer. No. What they're really interested in doing is getting a union in that, empl- it, that employer. And so right. you're exactly right with a, with a you know, somewhat transient workforce in a lot of these service industries, employees come and they go. Uh, you may get a group of employees that come into the, into the organization, into the, into the fast food r- franchise, for example. Uh, they organize the location. And then, like you said, a couple months later, none of those employees who voted for the union mm-hmm. are even employed any longer, yet the, the company is stuck with the union. And that's the, the unions recognize this. And you know, on one hand, it does make it hard to organize these facilities because you have to uh, have employees take initiative uh, to file, to collect signatures, to file a petition. The union will help with all of that. But then there's campaigning and they have to try to get the employee, the other employees to uh, vote uh, in, in favor of the union. And so it, it is very difficult to organize in this in this uh, sector. Uh, but the unions are definitely making an effort to do it. Now, one thing that I think is, is going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out is we all know that many, many, many years ago, let's go back to the 1980s, Phil, which we've already talked about today. You know, you would go to your average fast food restaurant and you'd order your meal and what would come out on the counter was your full meal. And what I mean by that is, is your drink would be filled behind the counter by somebody, uh, one of the employees. And what the fast food restaurants realized uh, through the 1980s and into the 1990s and, and early 2000s is it's a heck of a lot less expensive to have customers refilling are filling up their own drinks. It was faster, uh, number one, and number two, uh, it was less expensive. They did a calculation that- uh, And I don't make a mistake when I fill my own drink. Well, I bet you do sometimes though, Phil. Uh, they, 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 they do. Uh, they, 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 they realized though that uh, they did a, a calculation that basically said that we can save X amount of dollars per hour or per day by having the customers fill their drinks. And even if customers are going back and getting refills, the cost of soda is so cheap. It's a heck of a lot less expensive to pay mm-hmm. for people getting refills than it is to pay for uh, labor to handle those drinks. And again, it was speed and, and cost. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, so what's the next step in that? What have we seen really taking over uh, probably in the last 10 years, but the self-ordering kiosk? Um, and, and so you're going to continue to see a lot of that. If fast food workers are making $15 an hour or $20 an hour, business will adjust and they yeah. will decide, you know, if we're having to double wages, we're going to do the same amount of work uh, that we used to do with half the employees. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens at Apple. Can they stomach uh, a reduction in staff if the employees are making $30 an hour. And again, I have to preface that by saying, I don't know what they're currently making in the store, but I'd be shocked if it was above $15 to $20 an hour uh, for these people who, who work in the Apple store. Um, and, and you know maybe a manager in the Apple store makes the equivalent of $40,000, dollars $60,000 a year, but the, the average employee that you interact with in the store uh, is probably not making anywhere near that. And I think the counter argument, and, and, and I get it, I understand it, um, is also 
you know, you're looking at the profits that uh, organization like Apple is producing uh, and the success that they're having. And, you know, and, and the union's able to say, hey, you, you deserve your share of that. And, and look what, you know, what, look what their stock price is doing. Look what the corporate execs are making. All of those things become important um, when you're in a union campaign, whether it's Apple or it's your business and you're listening to us today. Those are the things that, you know, start to get exposed and start to create a rub, uh, understandably, for that person working in store. I get their mindset on it. While I may not agree with it, I definitely understand the mindset. Um, I want to just take uh, our attention to the poll for a moment here. It looks like um, initial results are showing about a 50% uh, with no increase in travel and 30% are back to pre-pandemic levels that would account to the traffic patterns that we're seeing, and uh, 20 at some increase. So if you add that some increase and back to pre-pandemic, about half of our poll question um, respondees today are suggesting that there is um, an increase from where we were during pandemic times. Um, Bert, you're talking about the 80s. I have to just pause. I think about the 80s. Um, I'm guessing it was probably right around 1984, a little bit ditty with Jack and Diane comes out. Um, I'm not sure exactly the year, um, but that is just and was one of my most favorite songs. Now, at the time when I would sing that song out as loud as I could driving down the road, I had no idea that I was going to get to meet, you know, one of the world's most famous drummers from that song. And it's got a a famous drum riff in it, you know, and, and how that song goes. Um, and he is going to be at our leadership conference on May 4th. Now, I know you're going to be somewhere at, at the Ogletree conference at that same time, and you sponsored a, a table um, uh, at the conference, and I appreciate that. And what we're going to do with that table is we're going to deem that our Ogletree morning briefing table, and we are going to select 10 of our frequent listeners to attend and sit at that table together um, and put them there to listen, um, not only to our keynote speaker, Kenny Arnoff, but participate throughout the day uh, of the conference with over 10 breakout sessions and three uh, keynote leadership um, topic speakers. Nick, can you play the promo video from Kenny. This dude is just cool. It's the only way to say it. Now, I'm a rock and roll fan, so I'm a little biased that way, but he has an amazing, amazing um, keynote speech that he gets that I know anyone who listens to this program will definitely uh, enjoy his keynote. Nick, are you able to cue that up for us? Thank you. Hey, I'm Kenny Aronoff in my studio, Uncommon Studios LA, and I'm so excited to be speaking at the 2022 AAIM Leadership Conference in St. Louis on May 4th. AAIM has put together another amazing leadership conference, and I am so looking forward to sharing some of my valuable lessons I've learned throughout my career recording and performing with some of the most epic artists and bands in the history of rock and roll. Just like the business world, teamwork, innovation and creativity, connecting and communicating in order to collaborate are so critical to the success of any band or tour I've ever been on. Everyone has to contribute and play their role or part. Teams win Super Bowls, not individuals. However, we want to be 
the MVP on the team we're on, but it's for the team, the we, not the me. And even more important is leadership, especially when, where, and how you lead people, and from whatever role you're in. What's your purpose? What kind of leader do you want to be? Anyway, I'm so looking forward to sharing, talking, and hanging out with all of you. It's going to be a great day. It's a great event, and we will all learn from each other. Well, check out the website, aaimleadershipconference.com, and I'll see you there. All right. Uh, to me, I don't know, Bert, I can't pull off the whole hand signs, you know, the we, not the me, but... Um, this guy really is a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. And, you know, he for a long time was the drummer for Fogarty, uh, for uh, John Cougar. He's played for Celine Dion, uh, Lady Gaga, um, um, Bruno Mars. I mean, the guy has a list that goes on and on. I think it's something like 300 hit songs that he has been a part of. And that's just a phenomenal, phenomenal um track record of success and really a role of leadership in the music industry uh, that that story will translate I promise you I've heard it it's excellent um, and I'm excited for our members to uh, hear that and I just want to say thanks to you and Ogletree uh, because we're going to select 10 of our listeners at random uh, to participate in the conference so thanks for that Bert we appreciate your support in that uh, in that event. Absolutely happy to to help out, and uh, I'm disappointed I won't be able to attend the conference. I'll be at Ogletree's conference out in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, presenting uh, there as well. And actually, I'm talking on uh, a, a topic related to COVID and sort of lessons learned during COVID, what worked, what didn't work. So once that program concludes, it's actually a workshop. Uh, I'll be happy to bring back uh, some of the discussion that we had during that session, uh, what business found uh, did work and didn't work in kind of how to be prepared for the next crisis, whatever that might be. Phil, real quickly, just a little bit of trivia for you. Have you ever heard of a company in St. Louis called the Dent Squad? Do you know what that is? The Dent Squad? Yeah. No, I have not. Are we, are we doing a are we doing an advertisement? It, it might be. It's a little paintless dent repair company up off. Are we of getting Watson paid for Road. this? I just we're, want to check. Are, we, are you and I getting paid for this? We're we're not. We're not. Just a little little advertisement right. here, but a little uh, paintless dent removal place up off of Watson Road. One of the first paintless dent removal companies in the U United States. They were really kind of pioneers in this industry. And the, the, uh, the founder of that company, he no longer runs it, but he was a guy named Robert Frank, and his nickname was Ferd. Have you ever heard of Ferd before? No, I have not. Just because you brought it up, Ferd uh, was actually a guitarist for John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, he began traveling with John uh, Cougar and, well, John Mellencamp now. Uh, and finished three albums with them. And on the fourth album, American Fool, uh, he was the guitarist for Jack and Diane and Hurt So Good. So oh, he yeah. lives, he, Ferd's a really nice guy. He lives here in St. Louis. He no longer owns the Dent Squad, but uh, maybe you can get your uh, drummer and Ferd back together for a reunion. Well, no doubt they will know each other. So yes. Ferd is his name. I'm, I'm going to I, I'm going to follow up with you and get a little info and try and, sure. and hook him up if I can, um, because yeah. we got a great 
a great band coming together. They've been practicing following the conference, but our lead singer for the band is one of the top 10 finalists for The Voice. Um, St. Louis in one of the top 10 finalists for The Voice. You got Kenny as the drummer and these other wonderful musicians that are going to play and free happy hour with beer and wine and all that stuff after the conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss out uh, from that standpoint. But we have two minutes. I want to get to this question uh, real quick from Emily. She's been patiently waiting for this. It's got to do with retention bonus. We'd like to pay retention bonuses up front. This would be um, conducted for a couple of employees in different states, Virginia and New York in, in particular. Are we safe to put in writing and get an employee written signature that we have the right to claw back the bonus prorated from all final wages if they leave before the noted time frame? So thanks for the question, Emily. I'm going to parse this out fairly finely for you. Get that uh, button ready, Nick. I yeah, think no, you I'm might not. say depends. I feel it's coming. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can avoid it so my head doesn't explode. Uh, so, so really by parsing this out very finely, the, the answer to your question, are you safe getting this put in writing, getting the employee's signature that you could deduct the retention bonus from final wages? The answer to that is yes, you're safe doing that, depending on, you know, really that, you know, it's up to each state on whether you can actually go through with it. So you can try to get the signature, but if you try to enforce that in certain states, that would actually be illegal. So you can get the signature uh, stating that they will pay back a retention bonus, but there are several states that make it illegal to deduct anything from an employee's final paycheck including a retention bonus, and that's even if they signed it. And let me give you an example of that. I'm not quite sure about the two specific states that you've asked about, so you will have to have a little bit of research done on those two states. But in Illinois, for example, you cannot get an employee uh, to waive uh, that law at the outset of employment. You can't get them to say yes on day one when I'm starting or the day you give me the retention bonus, that if I end up leaving the employment, six months from now, you can go ahead and deduct. You have to have what's called a contemporaneous authorization from the employee. In other words, the employee at the time they're receiving their final paycheck, that's when they would have to authorize the deduction. Missouri, you do not need that contemporaneous uh, signature, although it is much better if you get the contemporaneous signature. Uh, you can get the employee's signature at the outset uh, that if they leave employment, you can then deduct for certain things from the final wages. Now, one thing I will say is make sure no matter what state you're in, do not deduct the employee below minimum wage uh, at the time of, the, of their departure. So, so Bert, let me just get a clarifying question. Um, so getting a contemporary contemporaneous signature at the time of final payment such as, all right, your final paycheck is, you know, $2,000. Um, you owe us $1,000 um, prorated for the sign-on bonus. Uh, approve that deduction from your final check. And that's yes. at the time of payment, which in Illinois would be on departure. Uh, yeah, very basic, close to it. on departure, very close to it. And, right. and the obvious problem with that, Phil, is just that if you have an employee who's on the way out the door, uh, the, the chances of them agreeing to have that $1,000 deducted from their final paycheck are pretty, pretty slim. 
right. then you as the employer left with the, the calculus of, okay, well, now do I go after the employee? Do I sue the employee for breaching the contract to try to get back $1,000 when you know full well that it's going to cost you well over $1,000 to collect that $1,000? And the follow-up question obviously is going to be, it's where the person works versus where the person lives. So where they spend the majority of their time working um, yes, that's the on state. the business. So I can work from home in Illinois on business in Arkansas 24, you know, full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would follow the rules of Arkansas, not the rules of Illinois. Well, I, I think in large part, they would have to follow the rules of wherever they're being paid from. Uh, okay. be, you know, wherever they're paying their, their, their taxes, uh, that's an accountant question really to, to figure out which the proper jurisdiction is. All right. So I hope that helps you out, Emily. If not, um, follow up with me or Bert. We'll be happy to help you out a little further. All right. Well, don't forget, May 4th is the Leadership Conference. Sign up now. There are limited seating available. We will be contacting 10 of our listeners who are frequent listeners. Uh, thank you for always joining. We're going to give you the chance to attend the conference. I hope you will. It's going to be a fabulous show. And we will be back here next Thursday with the new improved haircut and beard trim of Burt Garland. Uh, See you then, 7.30 Central Standard Time. Bye-bye. Tell your story. Promote your products. Communicate with your employees and customers vividly, dynamically and powerfully. Whether it's a company video, recruitment video, online training, or live meeting, Feature Group can help you from scripting to highly polished finished production. Whether it's live or on demand, we have the skills and equipment to wow your audience and drive your message home. Feature Group USA, the one-stop shop for all your broadcasting needs.